0: The, scratch of my head, the lonely road Angels, he says, as he runs around in a denim skirt. Little Nas X is a gimmick rapper. Stupid Christians falling for the same old stupid mess. Lil Nas X. Bro, you ain't a Christian. You an abomination using the title of a Christian for clout. Where do we begin? Um, you know. As it pertains to Lil Nas X. Um, this is the deep end. With Look I've been trying not to. <clears throat> I have had a few interactions with Lil Nas X. Um, when we spoke last I remember him saying his dad was a big fan which made me feel old if anything uh, but it was still cool to know you know he's encountered um, the music I I don't know for certain but what I've heard is that his dad is a pretty devout a devout Christian and I can only imagine what his experience has been um, being an outright uh, gay man growing up in a religious environment. I wonder if he has any frustrations or presuppositions or ideas about how Christians act toward him because potentially maybe he wasn't treated well historically. Um, And that's not a secret. The Christian community does not treat the gay community well, has not historically, right? That's just not, you know, anything to hide. Um, And that's because there are varying degrees of perspectives and objectives as it pertains to christians engaging culture um because here's and here's a caveat because I, I didn't even know i was going to go here but here's a caveat before we get into little nasek specifically i'm a firm believer that you know same-sex attraction is not a choice for everybody um and if you are born with a propensity or an attraction toward a, the same sex that in and of itself is not condemnable. Like that's not something you condemn someone for. And I think that's what's consistently happened in the church is People have said, Hey, I am attracted to the same sex. Oh, you're going to hell. That's not okay. Um, on top of that, people outside the church have said, Hey, not only am I same-sex attracted, I'm acting on it. And the Christian community is pointing fingers again. But but what about all the people outside the church who do all kinds of things that we would consider sin? Like where's the uproar for I don't know gluttony? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like and here's my my biggest issue when we come back to little Nas X, it's not even about his, his sexuality. It's about his lifestyle choices in general, right? Like people are upset about his lifestyle choices. People are upset about rappers' lifestyle choices in general. People are upset about non-Christian lifestyle choices in general. What are we expecting Why do we not expect sinners to sin? I don't understand that. Like a blind man comes on the bus, steps on your toe, and you say, "Hey, what the heck are you doing, blind man? Stepping on my foot, blind man? No, you help him find a seat. That's what you do. And so you've got people in the world who are wrestling with what faith is and who God is and maybe their lifestyle choices would look drastically different if they knew the true and living God. Well, it's not our job to condemn them for their lifestyle choices. It's our job to show them where love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control exists. It's our job to show them where forgiveness and love like, just permeates and transforms everything. It's almost as if people forgot they were ever- folks who made poor choices or folks who said things that they regret. Like I distinctly remember before I was a Christian because I didn't become a Christian until I was a grown man. I distinctly remember not thinking anything was wrong with the choices I was making. Woke up on the front lawn of my mom's house, dead drunk and thought, "Woo, that was crazy. I didn't think anything was detrimental about that. Gave a girl an STD, curable, thank God. She calls me crying. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Dang, she called me, that's crazy. Why didn't I tell her, go to the clinic I went to and get the pills I got? I didn't think anything was wrong with what I did. Terrible. Walked through my neighborhood at 18 years old. Opened up, let me not say what I did. Committed some crimes. I don't know the statute of limitations on this. <laughs> the point is, I did not see anything wrong with what I was doing. Yeah, maybe in my conscience. I was like, yeah, this isn't right. But I still celebrated it with those who were willing to celebrate it. Why? Because I hadn't seen the light. My heart hadn't been transformed. How do we expect that to happen? Like, if some Christian would have came to me and said, What a dumb, ignorant sinner you are. Can't believe you're doing all this heinous stuff. God's going to get you. You think I would have been like, dang, I need to trust Jesus now. Thank you. Thank you, stranger, for the brutal chastisement you just gave me, right? You think that's how Jesus's formula was, that he just walked around like looking at prostitutes saying, hey, hey, you, you, you are an enemy of God. And you will perish for your lewd acts. Is that what we saw him do? I don't don't recall seeing Jesus move like that. I recall seeing Pharisees move like that. I recall seeing the Pharisees about to stone a woman for being a prostitute. Where's the guy? Doesn't matter. And Jesus doesn't come over and say, yeah, get her. He comes over and he writes in the sand. Hey, what's up, Philip? Remember this? Oh, Jonathan, what's up, bro? Remember this? Oh, Chris, here, remember this? Slowly, one by one, they start dropping those rocks and walking away. And he embraces that woman. Now, he does challenge her, go and sin no more, but he embraces her. And that's how God functions. So why don't we function like God? Why are we not imitating Jesus, following Christ in our examples? So I don't like it when I see non-Christians being chastised with Christian um, belief. They don't subscribe to what you subscribe to. So how can you challenge them with that? Like they don't even subscribe to the same book. They don't play the same game you play. So why are they they breaking the rules? You can't do that because Genesis, I don't believe in Genesis. You can't do that because Luke, I don't care about Luke. So what are we we talking about? How do we get them to care about Genesis? Because God cares about them. That's where we've got to start moving toward. You're not going to befriend anybody. You're not going to make any friends. You're not going to win any people beating them up, writing diss songs about them and bashing them. Now. Does that mean there's no accountability? No. Does that mean there's no you know, stipulations put in place? No. Does that mean you don't voice your disdain for things that hurt other people? No. But at the end of the day, you've got to ask, why are these people making these decisions? right? You're, you're asking some folks who are morally inept to make morally healthy choices when it doesn't benefit them, or at least they don't see how it benefits them. I don't know. I don't, Only God knows the motive of little Nas X when he gets on here and he says, hey, I'm just reaching out to God. But he's not asking for Christians to come diss him because of the things he's done in his past. He's asking for what we ought to ask for. is for God to not define us by what we have done, but offer us grace in a relationship. It's funny because... A lot of us become older brothers. Like in a prodigal son story, we become the older brother, right? If you, if you're unfamiliar with the story, essentially a man has two sons. One son does everything the father wants him to do on paper, right? I did this. I do this. I wake up when I'm supposed to wake up. I feed the horses. I do all the things dad wants me to do. The other son says, Hey dad, listen, I'm not about to follow your rules. Um, you're going to die one day and I'm going to get an inheritance. Can you just give me my inheritance now so I can go live the life I want to live? I have no interest in pleasing you. So one of them is religious. One of them is irreligious. The irreligious one goes off prostitutes going out, getting drunk, wilding. The religious one is at home doing everything daddy said, the model citizen. And when the irreligious brother comes home after being in Vegas For six months, spending up his dad's money, drinking up liquor, snorting lines of cocaine. He's broke. He's basically homeless, eating out of trash cans at this point in time. He comes home. He's like, Dad, I'm tripping. You gave me everything I ever needed, and I turned my back on you. The father doesn't say, yeah, right. You made your bed. You're going to lie in that. The father doesn't say... How dare you come asking me for help now? Oh, 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 now you want help. Oh, now you want to be my son. He doesn't do that. You know who does do that? The older brother. The older brother who didn't make the money in the first place. It was never his to make. Right? Who never cared about the younger brother in the first place. All he cared about was getting that inheritance. And that's why he did everything dad wanted him to do. He felt like he earned the inheritance. He earned his father's love. So, yeah, he's mad. He's pissed off because he's like, man, I do all this stuff and you're just going to give him this? No, no. And that's what a lot of us are. We're older brothers. No, little Nas X, you don't get to ask God for help. No, you non-believers. You guys, you guys, you know, you're out in Vegas snorting lines, you evil pieces of crap. And meanwhile... The father, if you look at the ancient Jewish text, he comes running out to meet his son. If you know anything about ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, old patriarchs, they don't run. It's actually like dishonorable. In an honor society, you don't run. It looks distasteful. It's like a woman taking off her hijab or something. It's like you don't do that. He breaks code, character, honor codes and everything and runs out to meet his son, to embrace him. That's how moved he was. That's how moved God is when we say, God, I need you. I know I'm a disaster, but I need you. When Cain killed Abel, God didn't say, oh, you dirty pizza, just get out of here. He comes to, he's like, it's your brother, like he, it's love toward him. He knew where his brother was. He's like, come on, Cain. Like, do you see what you've done? He's like, am I my brother's keeper? God's still like, yo, I'm trying to love you. I'm still warning you. I'm still here for you. That's grace, and that's what people have a problem with. They have a problem with the grace. It's funny because I'll never forget. I caught so much flack for for doing songs with secular rappers, so much. And in my my burden, my heart's desire was to build rapport, was to connect with them, to show them the love of Jesus. It wasn't to capitalize. It wasn't any of those particular things. And it's not like a song is a, I'm not a pastor in a pulpit bringing up somebody to preach a sermon and they don't even know Jesus. I'm saying, hey, let's have a conversation over a beat and record it, and let the world listen to our conversation, and I'll never forget this. I did a song with, with a rapper named Big Crit, and I hope Crit don't mind me sharing this, but, uh, but I love you, bro, and I appreciate you, but Crit and I did a song, and the thought behind the song was he's going to wrestle with his faith, and he puts it all out there. He's vulnerable in the song. Talks about his struggles, his struggle with God, faith, family, all of that. And then I come in behind him and I start answering his questions. I say, when I hear Crick confessing, I respect him. Right? Because most of us are living lives that are fake. And he's being transparent and vulnerable and honest. And I answered his questions. It was a beautiful conversation over, over music and Man, the Pharisees came out and ate this man alive. What a sinner. How can y'all do this song together? Lecrae, why would you work with this sinful, secular, what people don't know and what he confided in me? And you know what? I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind sharing this, but I'm sharing it anyway, because I want people to know, man, that man deserved to be shown love and to be embraced, is that that negatively affected him. You don't just see people were coming at me, but they were inadvertently telling him about his worth and his value. And these are Christians. And that, that had a negative effect on him. I won't go into the details of how or what, but just know that, you know, Satan wins when we do that. Satan wins when you do that. Now, I've had plenty of other conversations and done plenty other things behind the scenes that prove how loving and genuine God is. Not Lecrae, because on my best day, I'm just a conduit for God. But I've seen God work through me to meet some people right where they are. And I feel like, man, that's what he put us on earth for, to be salt, to be light. Yeah, love has a cost. I mean, love does cost. And... Condemnation doesn't cost much. I can sit in my armchair and throw stones at somebody. Doesn't cost me anything. But love is costly because love equals sacrifice. Love means you're absorbing whatever comes along with it. And if you choose to put yourself on the line for somebody to say, hey, man, I don't care if I'm associated with this person if it demonstrates that I have love for them, um, then I'll take it. Because in this day and age, like persecution in our culture, not across the world, because persecution is very much still, you know, death in a lot of parts of the world. But in, in our part of the world, persecution is really social ostracization. It's really canceling people. It's really saying, ah, pay them no mind, you know, throw them away. There's no plan for these people once they're thrown away. Like that's the crazy part about it is We demand public apologies and so on and so forth, only to demand more once they do that. Well, I'm so sorry for what I did. Yeah, but now that you're sorry, do this. Okay, I'll do that too. Yeah, well, now that you did that, do this. And it it never ends because you're earning forgiveness. You're earning love. That's That's not genuine. And so genuine forgiveness, genuine love is costly because it costs you to say, man, I know I've been violated or I've been hurt or you know, it's gonna cost me something to associate myself with this person, but I'm willing to take that because in the end, what really matters is me being obedient to God. That's what really matters. You, when you look at Jesus's life, it was costly for him, right? It, like it would have been easy to just come in, say, listen, y'all are just too jacked up. I'm sorry, <laughs> nobody's making it. <laughs> I'm out. You know, I just I, I can't do this. That'd have been an easy route, but what does he do? He says, Nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be associated with the sinners, I'm gonna be called a drunkard. Uh and I'm going to move in a direction that seems counterculture to everything that we know. He constantly had to keep saying to people, you've heard it said, but I say, because he was saying everything that you've heard, I got to have to put a spin on this because you, you, you don't get it. And it cost him to the point of shame. But what, is, what does the Bible say? It's, it says he endured it for the joy set before him. There's got to be a joy that's greater on the other side of the shame you'll endure. A lot of people don't understand the literal shame that Jesus endured was massive. This is an honor culture, number one. So first of all, he was physically beaten and destroyed. Second of all, he's publicly shamed. The crucifixion is, he was naked. You see the little crucifixion things with a little cloth. There was no cloth in real life. The Romans Stripped you naked they didn't care nothing about nakedness anyway, but they knew a Jew oh that was heinous like to expose their private parts was like so sinful and shameful and dishonorable and they wanted to dishonor this man to the nth degree put a fake crown on his head strip him naked in front of the world like endure you are the savior of the universe you are God in the flesh you created every single human being right here and they are they have stripped you naked put a fake cross on you a fake crown on you and strung you up on a cross all because you didn't want to follow their rules all because you decided to love the unlovable because you decided to go to Zacchaeus's house you decided to tell Matthew to stop collecting taxes they didn't like him for hanging with Matthew you know what this man has done for to us what are you hanging with him for can you imagine people seeing him walk around with the prostitutes that they had once slept with? Saying, Whoa, you hanging out with her? Because I know her. You don't, Jesus, you don't know her like I know her. She's like, She's not who you know. She's new. I mean, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we desire out here? And so, the, the, the thing about the, in celebrity culture, So much of your your income is attached to your public perception. So a lot of people are afraid of losing their sense of public perception to do what's right. They're afraid of what it'll cost them. And you're going to have to ask yourself, who's really God, Mammon or Jesus? I may lose money to serve Jesus. And is that okay? To be associated with with God. Is that okay? One of the things that's challenged me so much in this season of my life is like where, how I look at money, right? Like it's challenged me because so much of the world that we exist in is built off of making a lot of money. And then Jesus always flips it on his head. He talks about money a lot. And and interestingly enough, He's like, hey, just want you to know it's easier for a rich man, a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And so we look at that I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? Like sewing needle, camel, I don't get it. What I really believe is going on here and some historic historians would agree is there's a gate that gets you into Israel or into any city. And the gate is like, it's a it's a winding kind of maze type of deal for protection's sake. Right? So you can't just run in and run out. It's, it winds. It's a narrow corridor. And they will call that the eye of the city, the eye of the needle, right, to get in the city. And in order to get your camel through this little narrow thing, you have to take off All of the baggage on it, all of the jewelry, the clothing, all the things you may have. You have to take that off in order to get the camel through there. Now, once you get through the gate, guess what? You get it back. You get it back. Y'all, some stuff we got to take off in this life, the pursuit of wealth and just trying to be the richest. And it's like, Jesus is like, yo, you might have to forsake that check to serve me to get through this gate but you get it back 10 20 fold look at the parable of the talents he says hey i'm gonna give you something a talent was like a lifetime worth of money he says go take this and invest it and the last guy is like he was characterized by it. it wasn't like the master was a bad master the guy was lazy the guy was like nah I know how this works. I want to do what I want to do. And so God or the master, the ones who did well, who stewarded well, what did he do at the end? He said, y'all keep it. I don't even want the investment. Y'all keep it. He blessed them. It wasn't even their money. None of our money is our money. Sacrifice it for the greater sense of trusting God, following God. So what? I'm gonna lose some followers, lose some money because I chose to love somebody who was struggling. And guess what? They may not come to Jesus, but that's not my job. My job is to love them. Everyone's like, oh Lecrae, all this time you spend with so-and-so and such and such, they didn't even come to Jesus. I can't control that. But those are just the prominent folks. You don't know about their assistants, their managers, their bag holders, all those other people that you deem as less worthy. That God is transformed, but you'll never know about them because they don't have the same public platform. Uh, when I think of people like Little Nas X or anybody who, you know, folks turn a side eye at, um, I'm just reminded of so many characters in scripture. You know, I'm reminded of, I mean, shoot, Zacchaeus off top who was been looked at as heinous. And Jesus pursued that man and spent time with him. Um, And then I'm also reminded that, you know, God is very patient and we're not. And I think we should be following his pathway of patience with people. Um, I love the fact that the Bible often uses like, Agricultural themes because it was an agricultural society, but it's a beautiful thing because agriculture takes patience. We live in a microwave society, we want to see something transformed like that, and that's not how God works, that's not how agriculture works. Like, we're so spoiled. Push a button, upload it, done, right? Put in a microwave, push a button, done. My daughter. Gets mad sometimes when something has to be in a microwave longer than three minutes. What? Oh my gosh, it's forever. It's not. You're spoiled. We all are. But God uses agriculture when he talks about the gospel being a seed and it's planted in the heart of somebody. I don't know when have you ever seen a seed grow in a day? in an hour, I've never seen that happen. It takes time for seeds to grow and cultivation for seeds to grow. And then once the seed begins to grow, it takes more water and sunlight. There's a, I'm not sure what part of the world it is, but there's a part of the world where these trees with these massive trunks are so firm and so tall Like it takes them, it takes so much work to bring them down. They are firm and solid. And interestingly enough, it takes them years to get there, right? Years. But what's happening underneath those trees are other little shoots, right? And when the big trees that have been growing for years are cut down, the, the smaller shoots shoot up really quick, right? Because now they have access to sunlight and so on and so forth. The rain hits them directly, but they're flimsy. They, they don't last as long because they shot up so fast. There was not the same level of cultivation and time put into that tree that shot up so fast that it's shaky. And I think oftentimes we have this expectation for especially new believers or people who confess Christ because they can get on the internet immediately and say, I love Jesus now. And then we're like, well, you better live like you've been a Christian for 40 years because you just said you love Jesus. There's no room and space for them to grow. We're just now expecting them to like, oh, be transformed right? Especially when they're prominent. Like now all eyes are on them. So everyone's like, oh, so-and-so said they love God. I want to see it. I want to see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. How about you hang out for a while? How about you give them the amount of years it took you to get your stuff together? Oh, you're still getting it together? Hmm. What if we were patient with people? Like, Like some of us will plant, some of us will water, but only God's going to give the increase. So seeds are being planted? Just water. What if we just water? What if we make space for, hey, they may need some more water? Like what if we believe the best that, hey, maybe they need more water, not condemnation, not being blasted? Maybe they need water. Maybe we should encourage them for discipleship. What if, what if instead of commenting on social media about what you think about somebody, what if you spent that time praying for them? What a novel thought. How crazy would that be? What would your prayer life look like if you spent time just, you know what? I'm laboring for this person. Let me tell you something that blew me away. I went through one of the darkest seasons of my life, like 2016 to 18. Dark. Like, it was like a roller coaster. Monday, I'm like, I love Jesus. I'm gonna trust him. Tuesday, I'm like, there's no God. I don't care. The dopest thing to me is when i came out of the darkness there was a lot of people who condemned me during that time period lots tons when i came out of the darkness one of the dopest things to me when i people started seeing like oh shoot he's he's come out of the darkness he's in a healthier place they started sending me messages saying i prayed for you every single day for 2 years rocked me broke my heart i mean out People like that, I'm like sending them money. I'm like, yo, you don't know how much that means to me because I believe in the power of prayer and I'm grateful that you loved me through my darkest phases. What if that was us? Because that's what God is doing. He doesn't remember your, he remembers your sin no more. He casts your sin from East to West. Like, you are not defined by what you've done and neither are these people. Yes, it's ugly. Yes, we don't like some of the things they're doing, but guess what, y'all? We're not Moses in the story. We're not David in the story. We keep making ourselves the David figure, the Moses figure. That shows to me, you're young and arrogant. You're young and arrogant. if If you make yourself the Moses or the David in the story, you're not. You know who we are in the story of David and Goliath? We're Israel hiding because we're scared of Goliath. And God has to send a David to kill him for us. And that David is Jesus. You're not David. Your job is not to cut off Goliath's head. Your job is to trust in the one who will do the job. You're not killing Satan. You don't have the power. Jesus does. He's David. He's Moses leading us. We are Israel wandering the desert. You think too high of yourself. If you think you're Moses, you think too high of yourself. If you think you're David, now there's some aspects of David's life that sure we can take from it. Yeah, we can take that. He was the least of these. He was the lowest, but so was Jesus. (laughs) We can take that. He worked hard and his skill. And we can use some of those skill sets that we've worked hard at to do the work that God's called us to do. But we can only think of ourselves as David if we see Jesus using us through his work, his power, not because this is my job. Go get Goliaths. It's my job. Go defeat Pharaoh. No, at best, we're all giraffes on roller skates. We're a disaster. Jesus is Moses, <laughs> Moses is, Jesus is a greater Moses That's what the Bible calls him Jesus is a greater David That's what the Bible calls him They're called uh, 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 typologies They're types of Christs So start seeing yourself as Israel And there's nothing wrong with that Shows you weak We boast in our weakness Makes God look good You know I, I didn't have any forerunners Or people to like show me how to engage um, celebrity culture uh, once I became a public figure. Um, And so a lot of it has been trial and error. Um, I've beat myself up for not being a better witness. I've beat myself up for coming on too strong. I've beat myself up for condemning. um, And I've had to give myself grace because God does and say, Hey man, I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, and so a lot of us don't know what we're doing. You know, we don't know. And I, I just want to, you know, encourage you. If you have access to people in those spaces, um, to show them love, man, they're real people. I promise you they read your comments. I promise you they're hurt by them, even if they say they're not. I promise you they're affected. I promise you you praying for them makes a difference because God can hear your prayers. And he sees you as his child. And, you know, he gives you the desires of your heart. And if the desires of your heart is to see transformation in our culture, I think that's helpful. I think Christians often critique culture, condemn culture, or copy culture. Let's create culture. That's what we did historically. We made hospitals, we made universities because we cared about people. And those things still stand to this day. What if we still kept caring about people? Um, Listen, I'm not telling everybody to go out and care for celebrities and celebrity culture because I know a lot of us just want to be associated with that. It could be a slippery slope for us. We want to be seen, we want to be exalted, we want to be glorified. And maybe getting too close to that light does something to your soul. But some of us are well-equipped to do it. We're just afraid of being ostracized or afraid of being canceled. These folks need love, man. You don't got to do it publicly. Do it privately. But you may be seen in public, and that's okay. Because you know what you're doing, and you know what God is doing. I've been condemned a million times for working with people they don't know the conversations that went on behind the scenes. Um so man make space for folks, man. Make space for people. Maybe they're not as big as Little X or Justin Bieber or Doja Cat. Maybe they're just the mayor of the city or a congressperson or <laughs> You know, your local multimillionaire, um, it's like, man, it doesn't do us any good to be a people who are known for condemning folks because they are blinded by their own success. I mean, that's typically what happens to us, right? That's what success does to you. And I'm taking take it from somebody who's experienced it. Um, Pride comes before the fall. That's just how it works. You begin to think you're bigger and better than everything around you. God will deal with you. But it'd be great if the people of God were there to support you on your way up and down. Um, Because everything that goes up will come down. You know, uh, I heard a story about uh, Rockefeller, one of the richest people ever. And he found himself very sick and his hair was falling out and The Lord spoke to him and told him he needed to start giving away his wealth. Um, Maybe his identity was wrapped up in it. Maybe he was thinking he was larger than God, larger than life. But he said he just needed to start giving away his wealth. And he started giving it away. Uh, He was worth $90 million in his time. I don't know what the equivalent is now. It's probably billions. And when he died, he was worth $26 million. So he gave away over half of his his net worth, his hair started growing back. His, he started to come to life. Uh, if you didn't know, Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia is named after his wife, her, her middle name, actually. They supported the school. Um, life came into him because he wasn't blinded by his wealth and his power and his access. And life will come into any person when they the overpowering light of God shines through, and they are made to see there's something worth more than their success or their money. Um, be a part of that solution, not a part of the problem. And you know, as it pertains to little Nasex, my brother, I don't, I don't know you, know you, but I, I'm down to get to know you. You know, love to get to know you. Um, I don't know your motivations. I don't assume to know your burdens or desires or your story. But I'm here if you want to share it. I have no desire to make a public spectacle out of it. I have no desire to post pictures. Look, me and Nas hanging out. My only desire is to see you become everything God wants you to be. So, man, I'm here. I will not be one of the ones who exists to condemn and to criticize you because I know what grace tastes like. I know what forgiveness tastes like. And man, I'll be the last person uh, to cast judgment and condemnation on you. But I'd love, love to walk you through. Who I believe is the most gracious, loving, satisfying person in existence. And that's Jesus, the authentic Jesus, not the caricature that maybe society has drawn up for you that hates you. But the one who is willing to sacrifice his life. On behalf of the least of these, on behalf of the degenerates, on behalf of the killers, tax collectors, the prostitutes, Um, that's the one I'd love you to get to know.